Hello and welcome to the 8th Note Session. I'm Mike Shamil. And I'm Davin Mullen. And our guests today are from the No Label Podcast. We have over here Nelson and Dante. Thank you, gentlemen, for coming on to the show today. Appreciate y'all for having us. So for the folks at home, can you tell us a little bit about what your podcast centers on? Because this is a pretty meta moment. We got a podcast interviewing a podcast. (laughs) I know, it's kind of weird being on this side. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so used to asking the questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our podcast is just, uh, it's about... Uh, artistry, music in Buffalo, and just like really pushing, uh, oh, creating a safe space for artists to express themselves and like articulate their their craft. That's wonderful. I, I noticed you guys have a focus, especially on uh, the local hip hop and R and B scene, which is awesome because out of all the genres of music that are coming out of Buffalo. Um, right now, like that's where it's at in the Buffalo music. You know, we're we're becoming much more known for that, and it's funny because even though you have like Griselda and like all the bigger artists and stuff like that, most local artists are still really dealing with a lot of obstacles, and it's cool to see that someone is giving them some spotlight, and it's much deserved. Um, out of all your podcast episodes so far, what one really like hit home most for you guys? I would say I really enjoyed the Genesis interview, our Genesis episode. Uh, he's great. Yeah, he's a uh, he's actually my cousin. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but um, yeah, so just his story, him yeah, like story being a lupus too. survivor, going out to um, Usha Village to be able to be treated, and then just the types of music he makes and his style versus like me being his family, knowing how he grew up and where he come from, and like having people see him in a certain light. I think that's real dope. And just giving him the opportunity to tell his story on my on our platform was definitely a dope experience for me. The, uh, for me, I, I'd say it was uh, Brother Tom Sos. Uh, he he had uh, he he was going crazy in the city for like for months. He just dropping project after project, and it was all based around a, like a spiritual theme. Like it was the Inshallah series, and we were able to sit down and just like hearing him like. To tell his story about like how a lot of it was like dedicated to his brother that passed away and he gave him the inspiration to rap again wow and it was very like compelling and it was just like one of my favorites so looking at um art as a, a genuine reflection of life i, I love that that's a central idea of, of the, the podcast and creating safe spaces and um let's let's roll back the clock a little bit to uh Sort of the beginnings of this, because you you normally don't just start off and be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna shine a or a, a spotlight on on the <laughs> entire artistic community that I that I live in. Uh-huh. How, how'd you get there? Um, so I'll give like a brief story, and he can put on whatever he wants to. Sure. So pretty much, I had me and my friends. We had a radio show up at uh, my old college. Nelson ended up coming on the show for an episode. It was one of our better episodes. And then once I graduated, I knew I wanted to do a podcast and kind of shed light on the Buffalo music scene. Because, like, as I was in school, I seen the rise of it, like, with the Good Neighbors Club. You had Mile High Music, different people, just in those um, groups that I knew personally. So I seen where it was going. I seen West Side Gun. 
and Conway and everybody gaining their connections in the industry. So I knew eventually Buffalo would have a spotlight on it. And I felt like those people around our age group or who, who've been putting in time for a while, like people wanted them, people were going to eventually want to hear their stories. And then so yeah. once Nelson came back to Buffalo, hit him up about it. He loved the idea, obviously. And prior to me wanting to start the podcast or us starting it, I had no idea that his brother made music or that he knew pretty much all of the music people in Buffalo. Yeah. So, <laughs> so with my like camera and production experience and him networking, it was just like a good mesh. Yeah, it's like so many artists, like I always like brag on the podcast, like a lot of artists came out of uh, performing arts sure. or like Hutch Tech. And it's like, I happen to go to both schools. So it was like, it was, it was, it was just an easy way to just like, just have them all, yeah, hey, you know so-and-so? Yeah, let's bring him on. So we want to talk to him. And it was able to just really create something really organic and it made great content and it, it helped our podcast. Like, do, you, do, do you think that's... Uh... And then we, not to cut you off, we kind of seen like where the landscape of podcasting was going as well. So we knew that this would be a better platform to do that versus trying to get on somebody's radio station or trying to mm -hmm. pitch an idea to them. Yeah. Like we watch YouTube all day. We watched The Breakfast Club, Hot 97. So it was kind of like creating something like that in Buffalo, but that wasn't necessarily a radio syndicated show to where it could be monitored and what's the word I'm looking for? Censored. Censored. So yeah. it gave you more flexibility exactly. with, with content and mm -hmm. everything. Um, I, I like that you, you talk about these roots in the music scene extending all the way back to, you know, basically childhood. I mean, mm -hmm. if it's school. Yeah, I was I was just lucky enough to be blessed with parents who were music lovers. My father was a singer. He sung at almost like every church in Buffalo. Uh, my uncle, he was in the music industry playing. He's uh, he was like I wouldn't say A and R, but like he was like the point person for like when Rick James was doing a lot of his stuff. Oh. He was like the one talking to Rick, getting everything done for him for the labels. Um, and it's just it was it was in my blood. So it only I was I searched and was doing. I tried to play music, I tried to DJ, I tried to make do music production, manage artists, and it's like, and it, it all came to me being here in front of a mic and being able to describe, like, take people into the, my perspective of an artist. I think that's where, like, my skill set comes in, being able to just convey it. I, I think you need to have a, a really strong fascination with story. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know, the, the way life in, influences story. Um, in our pre-interview conversation, we talked a little bit about uh, your travels. You actually studied abroad in uh, yeah. Cape Town, uh, yeah. South Africa. What was, uh, com comparatively speaking, we and this can be kind of convoluted, I guess, but we live in a society currently under the, the shadow of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we see its manifestations daily. Um, you studied in a post-apartheid society. Yeah. Do you ever? <laughs> it, 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 like, I, I mean, I look, I look at, like, I live in a society where it was, what, we're post, what, civil rights, and it was, we're the land of the free, but I'm, I'm living in a place where humans were literally trafficked. That was all marketing. Land of the free, that was just marketing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so, so being, like, and my name is, is Nelson. I was named after Nelson Mandela, so, for me to go to like the country where he like that he liberated was definitely like like a full circle moment, and um and and just seeing seeing the like the impact of 
uh, racism out. And I was, I was lucky enough to talk to a lot of the locals and they, they would tell me like the before and after of uh, like colonialism. And they would tell me like, oh yeah, we had two languages, Zulu and, uh, I wanna say Zulu and Kosa. And but once Europeans came, it became like 11 languages, 22 different dialects, different type of division. And, and they weren't able to fully communicate and express themselves with each other. So it was, it was definitely, and I, and I look at the American experience and we, we use music to tell our story and we use art to tell our history. So being there and to do music and art was like, was huge for me. Beautiful. I mean, it's one of those things which combats the, the conquer and divide strategy mm -hmm. that's, that's often employed against people. Um, what I what I love about uh, uh, what I was getting in our pre-interview conversation was just the the kind of infectious optimism that you, you seem to have about things. There, there's always something worth talking about, or worth being curious about, and mm -hmm. you know, a, a world full of shadow. Mm -hmm. um, how do you how do you keep buoyant with that optimism, and how do you keep it going, and, and why do you keep it going? Uh, there is, to me, it's like the, the, glass, the glass half full type of thing. Is it glass half full or half empty? It depends on what you, how you see it, how you perceive it. Uh, there's no, in my, in, my, in my mind, there is no option of failure. There is no, it's all bad. It can't be. There's, I'm, I'm here. I, there's breath in my lungs. I can move. I can formulate words. There's something positive that can be done. Whether, whether if I can't see it, I don't have, my imagination isn't clicking enough. It's not a problem, it's not an issue with the world, it's an issue with me, I have to get more creative. I have to do something, I, I don't, it's not reactive to my physical, my senses, it's, it's, a, it's a really internal thing and uh, I think that's what, what drew me to, to music and art and being able to just self-expression because it, we all know we can list off all the terrible things that happen in the world, but it's really about the internal, your internal world that will help you project and change what's on the outside. I love that. One of our, uh, our frequent guests, Michael Farrell, they, uh, they place a particular emphasis on, on black joy and how uh, in, in this cultural context of, of the United States today, yeah. um, how transgressive it is, how it's a, a kind of a, a form of nonviolent resistance mm. against things, so I, you know. Yeah, what is it, the song, uh, We Will Dance and Sing in the Name of Love? Yeah. <laughs> and it's in like an infectious song too, because as soon as you hear it, it's got like such a catchy tune to it, yeah. that it really does like kind of like work its way like inside you right off the bat, and that's, you know, what you're describing there is, you know, in action. Yeah, and like one, one of the things I talked to my friend about, uh, my friend uh, Dwight, and we talk about like, you know, revolution and things like that. And a lot of the times we think revolution comes from, oh, you gotta destroy things, you gotta tear it down and da 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 da. But in reality, it's like, if you're creative enough to create a, let's say you come up with an idea for a, a, a water as a fuel for a car, that can topple the oil industry of that, like a beautiful idea that can benefit millions of people, like give free energy, could destroy Wall Street, this, that, that, and it's like, you're not trying to hurt anybody by creating something that's better. It's just the shedding of the old 
to create something new. I mean, it's, it's a touch on a radical idea that, that life occurs in cycles and there has to be rebirth and death in order for there to be new Absolutely. life. Absolutely. You know, all systems must fail, all walls must come tumbling down. The yin and the yang. Um, so, in terms of moments then that give cause for joy, in, in the past month, we're, we're just coming off Juneteenth, uh, beautiful celebration, way too late in its recognition uh, as a, a federal holiday. Um, I, I, hope, I hope celebrations were, were well for you guys. Um, what other, like, slice of life moments mm. have happened that have just been giving you that space to breathe? Can you, can you say that again? Yeah, what, what slice of life moments? So are you looking? Like moments of joy. Yeah. Yeah. Pull out, pull out of things as, in the, as of everything is late. I know, I know for me, one of those things were like, was it might've been the day after the shooting, uh, the massacre down at, uh, on Jefferson. And my friend was in town and she, she had a friend and he's like, oh, we want to go to the bar. Like they, she was in town. So we like, I have to go see her. And the bar was in South Buffalo. South Buffalo, for those who don't know, is like notoriously racist. That's my. That's where I live. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, white guy just shot up a bunch of black people. I don't know if it's the best plan, but I was like, you know what? I I love my friend. I'm going to make sure I'm with her and supporting her wherever she feels safe. So we go there. It was it was some so small pub and it was cool. Like everybody was everybody was cool. We drank all night for free. The bartender didn't charge us a thing, and it wow. it just shows like, regardless of how crazy it looks on TV or in the outside world, it's just like that that kind of small slice of just doing what you can to make things better for other people was like that 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 gave me that gave me some joy. Good. I would probably say us like beginning to record and really get things going for season four of the podcast because you know it has been like because of the event or the massacre, there's been like a gloominess and shadow around the city. And I feel like our podcast is something that people like have looked forward to in our community. Yeah. So us bringing that back for the summer after the fact, I think is definitely, would you say, a slice of joy of mine. I love that. And, and on the subject of, of, you know, building up the community, what are things that you guys see that um, we could do better in Buffalo to really build up the community? Um, I would say people... I want to say actually caring and not acting like you care. So if you have to act like you care, you should probably do more research and connect with more people who've gone through certain experiences that you're trying to include yourself in on to help, like actually understand why you should be helping and actually understand the struggles and the pitfalls that these people have gone through and why they may need your help and not just showing up to make it look like you're helping to make yourself feel good. The, and, and I think it's uh, a lot of it comes to like talking to the actual community, not necessarily like yeah, going on like social media. It's easy. It's very easy to like just make a post, pre-share. Like, yeah, it's like social media justice and stuff like that. But yeah. like, I figured out the solution. Everyone, <laughs> all of our problems. Yeah, I tweeted. Only I, I know. I tweeted twenty times. I, I, I did my part. And it's right. like, but I shared it to everybody. Yeah, I, I really like. I realized the importance of like touching people and, and just like just showing faces. Like I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here to help in any way. Like and just making yourself present. And I think that's that's one thing that everybody in our community sh should do. 
just like make yourself more present and we know how tight knit Buffalo is. It's very everybody knows everybody. So make sure you did you make sure you check on all of your family members. Yo, how yo, mental health check. Yo, how how you doing? Are you burnt out? Like what's going on? You need a vent, you need to go up, need to go out and just let's take a walk. Like small things like that will make huge differences. I, it all adds up, you know. And I, I think we can very easily miss, you know, the the how effective small things are in the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting, though. I, I've heard so many sort of different reactions on, because I asked, I asked you both in the pre-interview, has anything changed mm. since then? Yeah, and I, and I say, I, I noticed more of like a community impact. Like people were like, almost like, like where do I go to genuinely help? And, uh, I, I was blessed enough. Like I've been working with my friend uh, Dakari Singletary. He has a, a, a not for profit called Candles in the Sun. And Shout out to Candles in the Sun. Yeah, we, and they've been doing great. They've been helping the community for a long time prior to this situation as well. Yeah, and it's I noticed like he's, he's very big on impact, and I, I like we talk and we have dialogue, and he's and I, I it was this moment when I really saw I was like oh I see the power of what this can do and is doing, and it was just. We we were on the ground every day, like we were on the ground every day, uh, and when when the people left, when like when everything stopped uh, being blocked on Jefferson, we're still doing drop offs. We're still talking to people. Okay, there. Yes, we know that grocery store is still not open. Yeah. What, what do you, as of what this you podcast episode, it is still not <laughs> open. Yeah. So it's like, what do you need? It's like not just food. Okay, you went there for mouthwash, uh, uh, diapers, baby food. Okay, we'll, we'll get that too. Like, like what else? Like really responding to what the, the community itself needs. I think that's, that's what I noticed. Like people are getting more organized and they want to, they want to be a part of a community. And I think it's, it's tricky because there's so much of money, material, manpower, and brain power that it doesn't go to the right place necessarily. Mm -hmm. I mean, talking about the, the grocery store not being opened, there's uh, a collection fund for, mm -hmm. for victims of the, the massacre. Um, Tops has raised over $3 million at this point, and I, they have a scheme to get the people their money. I don't think legally I can be like they're going to board it, but there's been this massive delay. You know, people aren't getting the material help they need. And even if the store reopens, it's still the only store there. It doesn't address. Yeah, it's, a, it's a food desert on the downtown east side of Buffalo. It's been a food desert as long as I've been there, and I grew up in that area. So mm -hmm. that Tops has literally been the only Tops that's been there. We had an IGA probably about 10 blocks down. That closed down a long time ago. So it's literally just that Tops. Other than that, it's a McDonald's here and several corner stores everywhere. I, I can't remember which one of you, you said it, but you can teach a man to fish, but you can't rent out the fishing pole. Mm -hmm. um, you gotta, you have to give the tools and the training. Mm -hmm. You don't yeah. need an opportunity, you need a guarantee. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a big issue with a lot of the outside organizations that come into the community trying to capitalize on a photo op, doing some good PR. Yeah, they want those optics, but they don't, yeah, don't want to actually get They want the optics, done. they don't want the substance. Yeah. And that goes into what I was saying, just showing up for a photo op or just showing up to say you're helping versus actually figuring out what the problem is and actually helping, like you mm -hmm. said, touching the people and talking to them. Yeah. That's how you figure that out. And it's, it's, it's very simple, but it's, it's 
when you sit, when there's 12 people in the boardroom sitting around the table trying to figure out what's the best way to, like, you're wasting time. When mm-hmm. you could be, all 12 of you could be outside. If you really felt that way, knock on, knock on some doors. And you will learn and, that and, within and, 10 minutes versus that two-hour boardroom meeting. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the nuance. And, and you've also described um, sort of a, a difference in response to these things from different communities. Like my, uh, hypothetically, I have a kid. I don't, but you know, I, I have a job to my son that I have to do at home mm-hmm. in reference to this event that's happened on the other side of town. You know, the work is a constant state of self-monitoring and self-accountability. Yeah, and if that's not addressed, yeah, most definitely. It, and it, it comes down to, to, to fatherhood. Uh, like I, I was, I saw a man driving down. Uh, I was driving down Delavan, and this was like maybe the day after. And I was looking, and there was nobody around him. There was no cameras, no nothing. It was a guy and his son holding a sign saying "free food." So, and it just kind of struck me. I'm like, whoa. Like so, I spun the block. I talked to him, and I and I told him, I was like, like I appreciate you bringing your son out here to make a genuine impact. And showing him that he can make a change, in a situation. even if you give out one or two meals, you you taught him that it's a, when something is wrong, and you and you're upset about it and it's an injustice, you can stand up for it, even if it means you're standing by yourself. And people will see it and appreciate it. And then, like I felt it, I stopped my I was on the way to go, so I'm like I stopped my car to tell you, like, no, like, and we see an 18 year old kid whose father didn't take the time to say, like, hey, and speak with him, like. This is a, that's, that's a child who came into that, in that place and committed that massacre. But he, he had a different type of upbringing that embraced maybe uh, military weapons. Now, why are you uh, saying training. I was a child? Uh, anybody who's 18 to me is, like, is, is a child. I don't, think that we should, I don't think that we should say and put out there that he was a child because they don't view us at 18 as children. They don't view us at 16 as children. 12? I mean, there, there was that kid with the airsoft gun who was like 12 oh, yes. in Walmart a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So at the end of the day, we know we both have friends who've been child locked up a, at yeah. 15 and child 16. Child as adults. For child sure. as adults at 15 and 16. So yeah. I, can't, I can't give them that leeway of saying that he's a child. I'm sorry. I, I know. I look at myself as when I was 18, I, I didn't know shit. That's how I looked at it. That's a fact. So it's like if you, I see somebody doing that, somebody was in that person's ear. Somebody like, and I look at it like a manifesto. Yeah, what 18 year old is writing, let alone reading 180 pages of anything? Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't grow up with any. And it was like, it was just too, it was too, it wasn't a lone wolf situation. Oh no, not at all. So that's, that's, Definitely that's, not my, saying that. that's always my, my yeah. thing. So. No, I mean, no, no 18 year old's that confident no. by, by himself. To drive three, three hours somewhere else. Yeah, there, there's a there's a culture of support behind that, which and isn't the kind of culture yeah, of support we need. <laughs> exactly, and it's like why like I like I'd rather put emphasis on a man taking his child into a predominantly black neighborhood to say, hey, you can stay here. Nothing's going nothing's going to happen to you. You're here to to help, and you're coming here out of genuineness of your heart. Showing that that's a bigger staple, and like that's why I made sure I'm I'm going to stop and I'm going to identify. I'm going to validate you and saying like yo you're this is what needs to be done more versus i'm only going to give this child attention because you committed a great act of violence because we notice like most mass shooters kids who were ignored by their parents ignored in school or picked on or some stuff like that they gave so much attention to the negativity that they 
they never shifted their focus on what they gave their attention to what was could benefit the collective. So whether it was the African popper, but the child who's like uh, cast out from cast out from the village will will burn it down and feel its warmth. Yeah, it's, it's something like that. Yeah, isolation. It's, mm -hmm. You know, root of. Uh, <laughs> I almost said it's the root of mental illness, but it, it's definitely the root of hatred, for sure, for sure. Um, so to to scale it back a a, a little bit, a little bit, because I, I feel like we're we're getting close to like the the rock bottom of mm. uh, our entire fucking society, and I, I don't know if that's completely in the scope of a, a music podcast. Something frequently discussed uh, on this interview show is this idea of the Berlin Wall of Buffalo music. Separation between black and white audiences, between genres, and the accessibility of performance spaces, uh, specifically for, for hip-hop artists. Um, I'm, I'm curious about a few things with that. Is is that something that's commonly uh, spoken about in, in your interviews? The, the difficulty in finding local performance spaces. Um, what are some spaces off of the, uh, like the well-worn path, like Milky's Stamps, uh, you know, Town Ballroom, like everybody knows these venues, um, where people can see hip hop. And, what might be a way around the wall or over the wall or under the wall or directly through the wall? Yeah, uh, it's funny because I've never heard it referred to that. But yeah, me either. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, it's definitely a thing. Um, but Buffalo is like historically kind of like been segregated. And I think that that also like played a part in just like, just what, redlining and just the systematic racist like tendencies of like of our city so like we have places like Chippewa that don't have black clubs but they have venues where you can perform but they won't let you it's like oh oh no hood oh you got you got one too many rips in your jeans uh, so it's like it's so many places like that where and then they're like, not playing hip-hop music all together yeah and it's it's very uh it's hard to it's hard to find a consistent space like We've been lucky enough, like some of the spots you named have all like been opening the door. Another spot is Buffalo Ironworks. They do performances there for mm -hmm. artists. They've definitely had Brother Tom there, Young World. They have a show with um, Jadence coming up, K Pistol, Kane Wave. So they they definitely Beautiful. do it. They kind of they try to do their part in letting hip hop people perform and have shows. So definitely give a shout out to Buffalo Ironworks. Yeah, uh, and and just like that that wall that wall has to be. Of course, it has to be like taken down, just like kicked down, however, however you see Hell fit. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, it, it's, it's honestly, it's just like a matter of time because my whole thing was just like you, you go hard until it's undeniable. It's like you, you don't give them a choice. It, it gets to a point where it's like people will scream at like, why isn't this person in this venue or in available to this space? Like this is, it's blasphemous. So my, that's my whole thing is just like you, you keep working until you get to that point. And uh, I love the fact that Town Ballroom and places like the Rec Room are like starting to open up for the local local artists and allowing them to get these types of placements and stuff like that. So I think uh, with the 
the big three, like the Conway, Benny, uh, Westside, they were they were able to help kick the door in, uh, in metaphorically to to the industry. But it's like now we still have to do that within our city. Mm -hmm. to, we again, have to continually support each other because there there was a space. You got Nami Labs that was a space to where mm -hmm. local hip hop artists and local R and B or certain genres of music would perform there. They would have pop up shops. It was a whole creative space for people within the city who were tapped into that side of the culture, but they weren't supported enough for them to be able to um, withstand their store, I'm, I'm assuming, mm -hmm. I believe. So I think as a community and as a people, if we really want something like that and we see that there's somebody doing it, we have to back them wholeheartedly and fully so that they can maintain the space, maintain mm -hmm. the audience they have and be able to grow and make it like a legacy thing throughout Buffalo so that door is now kicked down. Mm -hmm. Shop local. Yeah. Local. And it, it's interesting that sort of dovetails into uh, uh, a point, uh, Nelson, that you had made earlier about marketability being a kind of censorship. Yeah. Which is, that, that's new for me. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it, it, it was, uh, I saw a guy speaking on it on YouTube, and it was very like, it threw me off at first, but it, I remember <laughs> I used to manage, like, I used to manage uh, Love the Genius, these artists. Uh, he recently got signed to uh, Drumwork. And we would talk about the idea of marketability and how it, it marginalizes so many, so many artists because it's like, oh my God, this is so good, but it doesn't sound like anything else. It doesn't, you can't dance to it on TikTok. It doesn't fit the quote unquote algorithm. And then it's like so many artists become slaves to the algorithm and the system of what's going on in cookie cutter music that it, it strips away creativity of the artist. And uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm very against that. And it was like I was at my friend uh, free music party. There, Kevin Spears and some of my friends. They were playing some music, and I was listening to Missy Elliott, and like literally, like saying gibberish on the verse. And it's just like, like you had the, the type of freedom you have to have in order to, you know what I'm saying, like to be confident enough and like, oh yeah, and I'm gonna push this out, and everybody's gonna sing it. Like it's just crazy. It's just like crazy. Like. It's, and and we need that type of creativity. And I know I know our city, like Buffalo, has the that type of talent within it. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's here. Yeah, I yeah. know for a fact that like, that level of talent is here, and it's just a matter of getting enough eyes on it to make it to make it really blossom. Yeah, and, and I think that's why, like so many artists, said once they get to a point where they're confident in their skill and their craft, they leave. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes they come back, you know, and they spend time in Buffalo, but they leave because the infrastructure isn't mm -hmm. there. Yeah, they and have it's to. It's crazy. Yeah. Even with the internet, they still have to leave. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the structure of our city. It's, it's that, that systematic thing that you, you can't necessarily break through. You have to kind of look, go around it and, 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 and come, come through the back door so you can kick in the front. Uh, uh. Gotta kick out the wooden support beams on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. But but man, yeah. I, I, and and that's that's one thing like like I'm sure we'll we will we will see within the next three to five. Where it's like we have our own venues that's like that are for hip hop, that are as big as town ballroom, right? Like there's it has to be done and it is gonna be done. I mean, hopefully when that happens, we have a genuine Buffalo Renaissance, because the last one, no. <laughs> no. A group grain silo with some loft departments is not a renaissance. <laughs> 
What do you mean we're going to fill all these luxury apartments? <laughs> right. You, you can only look at them from the outside, but yeah. trust me, they're beautiful. <laughs> yeah, you know, just like an outside. It's gorgeous to look at. Uh, so that's, that's about all, all I got. I mean, th this was definitely like, a, like the prime rib of interviews. Very, very substantial, <laughs> socially conscious, heavy, 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 sitting deep in my stomach. So I, I, I love conversations like this. Like, and it's, it's funny because like me and him, we, we, we sit at the house and we can have conversations like this all the time and like play off ideas. And I, I, I know that's not the necessarily the, viral, the thing that's going to go viral, but it's something that to me like builds community and it sustains one another and uplifts each other. So it's like I'm always going to be willing to push towards that. So, and it always sparks something in people's mind because they probably normally don't have these type of conversations. Yeah, they thought about it, but yeah. I didn't know somebody else thought this too. Exactly. It's like, it, Especially if it's somebody they know that relates to them, that comes from the same area they come from. Mm -hmm. It's like they don't have to be self-conscious about thinking like this. Where, like we try and push, like it's cool to be smart. It's cool to be intelligent and creative. Regardless, if you could have face tattoos, neck tattoos, that doesn't mean that you're not smart or intelligent. Right. That's just your style. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's all. So speaking of uh, uplifting, why, why don't you talk about uh, some upcoming guests you have for the podcast? Uh, give, them, give them an early shout out. Hopefully we can get some of our viewers to go on over and, and check you guys out. And, yeah, go watch their uh, podcast. Uh, yeah. No label to pop. Let's appreciate um, it. So coming up for season four, we got Love the Genius, who he just mentioned, signed to drum work. We have OJ, who's uh, who is manager. Manager, mm -hmm. manager on drum work music's label. We have Bulgarian on the beat, who's a producer. Um, we have D Hawks, who's a videographer, video producer in Buffalo. Real hard worker, he does a lot. D Hawks 2099, I believe is his Instagram name. Yeah. Um, so it's, we're just gonna continue to come with bigger and better artists, creatives, and just gonna continue to show Buffalo in that positive light. And mm -hmm. that, to, as, as much as like, as much we, as we see, we wanna show the world like, yo, like, we're that, yes, we are that dope, and we're going to continue to do that as a pod. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to see you guys are doing something really awesome. Um, thank you so much for making time to be on our show today. No, yeah. Appreciate Anytime. Yeah. For having us. This is our first, our first interview, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. this is exciting, man. It was Knocked cool. it out of the park. Being on the other side of it. I tried to help. I tried to help him set up. He was like, no, you're the guest today. I'm, I'm used to doing like the video production stuff, so that was definitely cool. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to make sure that you know that you know because you guys welcomed us into your space. That it's like it's like okay, this is this is your turn to like sit and talk and tell us all the cool things you're doing. Let me you know run around with all the crap and you know. But I do love um, you know for the for the folks at home. Um, right now we're in their production space. Um, you know, you said you're going to be filming some of your future episodes here. Yeah. So look at what it's like now with my setup and go watch like their episodes when he gets it all set up the way that, you know, he envisions <laughs> it and see the difference, see how much cooler the space is going to be pretty soon. Um, you know, I, I look forward to, to seeing more of your episodes. Yeah, thank you, thank if anybody you. wants to run out the space, yes, sir. you can hit me up on Instagram at beyond prolific. Or you can hit up the No Label podcast page at No Label to Pod. We're open to rent out the space as well. And they shoot music videos, so you know other musicians who are who are watching, you know, uh, hit them up. And uh, with that, this has been the Eighth Note Sessions. I'm Mike Shamil, and I'm Devin Mullen. And our guests today are from the No Label podcast, Nelson and Dante. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank no you. I appreciate you.
Music is art. I love y'all, man. Thank you. <laughs> hey there. This episode, we are featuring the song Wide River by Mike Farrow and Michael Delano. It comes from the album Good Neighbors Volume 2. This album features local songwriters from the Music Industry Alliance monthly meetup. They were organized into pairs and created songs like this one. Walking to the riverside When the waterway ain't been clean Rusting the sewage running wild Sick of plastic with shades of green Life comes from the water child It don't care about how you've been And what happens when it all runs out When the nightmare is not a dream The 8th Note Sessions are produced by Music is Art. Our co-hosts are Devin Mullen and Michael Shamil. Editing by Michael Shamil. The Executive Director is Tracy Fletcher. Our Program Director is Sarah Elizabeth Shaw. You can help programs like this keep going by donating today at musicisart.org. Thanks for listening.